This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode was recorded on August 31st and released to premium subscribers the following day. So September 1st, which is almost one week ago at the time of this recording. To become a premium subscriber, you can visit the website mentioned at the top, which is contrarian.supercast.com or our substack, contrarianpod.substack.com. There are a host of other benefits that come with a premium membership, including the daily contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning by 7 a.m. And this provides you a lowdown of the economic data releases, earnings, and other items in the day ahead that are likely to move markets. It's a great preview of the trading day, and you don't want to miss it. So check it out. Again, the website's contrarian supercast.com and contrarianpod.substack.com. The prices, I believe they are a little more than $9 a month now if you pay monthly, but if you sign it for the year, it's still the low price. So take advantage today, check it out, and listen to these podcasts a week early and without any of these annoying ads or announcements. See you there. I'm here with Daniel Partlow, Chief Risk Officer of Advent Capital Management in New York, we are going to talk about convertible securities, convertible bonds. This is an area of Wall Street that is not talked about very often, but it is quite interesting. And spoiler alert, to incentivize those of you who may not be familiar with this asset class, which I assume is most of you, to listen, I can tell you right off the bat that they have a better track record than vanilla equities or bonds. And they combine the two, and we'll get into that. But Daniel here is a a bit of an expert on on this asset class, having literally written a book called Convertible Securities, A Complete Guide to Investment and Corporate Financing Strategies. And I believe you wrote that recently, right? That's right. It came out in uh, March. Oh, so this year. Fantastic. March of this year. Yeah. But yeah, but let's start and maybe to, from a basic, just with the base, let's cover the basics first. Mm-hmm. What are these convertible bonds? Right. And how do they work? And sure. Well, a, a convertible is uh, 
is either a bond or a preferred stock with an option uh, to be converted into shares of common stock. And, uh, you know, for those not familiar with them, that may sound like some sort of uh, financial engineering wizardry that, uh, you know, you would have heard about in the big short, but, you know, that's not what this is, right? This is not uh, Steve Carroll, Brad Pitt, and Christian Bale, uh, you know, type of, uh, of a short bet. You know, that was massive leveraging of very poor credit. Convertibles have actually been around for 300 years, uh, funding growth and innovation. Uh, in fact, the first one was uh, the British East India Company issued bonds convertible into sovereign debt. And um, then in the uh, first half of the 1800s, convertibles were issued to uh, finance the early railroads and Western expansion. Uh, in the 1900s, they were issued to finance uh, automobiles. Uh, by mid-century, they were financing airlines, microwave ovens. You know, the 80s came around, it was personal computers. Uh, in the 90s, it was the dot-coms and e-commerce. And, you know, the asset class has a very, you know, tech orientation to it now. You know, cloud companies, social media, uh, semis, you know, storage. Um, you know, outside of tech, there's biotech, fintech, you know, EV uh, companies. So basically, all the disruptive, uh, transformative businesses use convertibles to finance growth and innovation. Okay. Now, why would a company choose to do a convert rather than an equity offering or a bond offering? Well, there's a number of reasons. Convertibles typically are issued um, with a lower coupon, right? They, they do, you know, offer a coupon. Some of them are, are zeros these days, but, um, you know, there, there is coupon income. But from the co uh, company's perspective, they're really saving on interest expense, right? And uh, they're willing to give up their, you know, their stock, and it's it's issued at a premium, a conversion premium, right? So essentially, it's convertible at a price, um, you know, 30 to 50% above today's stock price. So they're essentially issuing stock at a higher price uh, on a deferred basis. Oftentimes, convertible issuers will um, get a call spread, right, as part of the deal. Um, that's not you know, something that the investor uh, is concerned with that actually comes from the investment bank that helps them to issue it. And so effectively, uh, you know, they're issuing stock up 100%, right? When you, when you add the, the, convert, the initial conversion premium, uh, you know, the call spread they get from the investment bank. So um, while it's dilutive, uh, it's dilutive at a much more, you know, greater value uh, than the company has at the time of issuance. Right. Okay. So you get this, this bond, I guess, a convertible mm -hmm. bond we're talking about, and it has a maturity. What's the typical maturity, like two or three years? Um, well, it has a, a maturity of, you know, four or five years. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it, one, one interesting property of convertibles is they, they have a maturity of, of four or five years, but they, um, they actually have the interest rate sensitivity of a much shorter bond, right? Okay. So when you think of a, you know, high yield, for example, having, um, uh, you know, duration of about four years, that means, you know, for every 1% interest rates go up, right? Uh, high yield would decline about 4% or investment grade corporates, it's more like seven to eight, right? So every 100 basis point increase in, in interest rates, it's gonna lose seven or 8% of its value. 
Um, convertible bonds, even though they have uh, a comparable term to high yield, they have much less interest rate sensitivity. And the reason for that is that you know the bond portion has duration, but the option that's embedded in the convertible has negative duration. It actually increases in value as interest rates rise. So um, you know that's that's one of the interesting features that makes it attractive to uh, fixed income investors. Sure. And then you get this, uh, I guess, this conversion at the premium. So say you have a stock trading at 100 and you say the typical premium is like, what, 30%. So they have to so say it gets to 130. If it gets to 130 at any point, is it at any point in the, in the, for the duration of the bond or is it by the, does it have? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the bond could be converted at, at any point, but typically it doesn't make sense to do the conversion, um, you know, prior to maturity. Right, because that option has value right up, you know, until the very end. So, you know, if you've if you've made your money and you decide it's time to get out, you sell it rather than converting it. Right, there's a very few corner cases, uh, you know, where where we would actually exercise something a little early, but it, you know, it's a very rare event. I see. So, so people don't generally hold these for duration to pick up the equity. They they would sell them. Well, uh, certainly you, you can. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, uh, not all converts are, are um, created equal, right? They, basically, a convertible, it, some of them are very much like equities. Some of them are very much like bonds. And some of them are somewhere in between, right? So if you have bought a convertible bond that's what we call balanced, you know, somewhere in between, uh, you know, the, the, the equity and, and, and bond world, you like having the positive asymmetry. You, you like having the downside protection of the bond. If the stock price goes down, you know, you've got, you've got your, uh, your bond floor, what we call a bond floor uh, that protects your investment. And yet if the stock price goes up, you've got the equity participation, right? You, you know, you've, you're more likely to convert into the equity. And, um, but what happens sometimes is that the uh, convertible issuer will uh, you know issue a convert and the stock price will just go up and up and up and up like like Tesla for example right they issued uh, a number of convertibles and their stock price you know went through the roof there was some volatility there of course but uh, you know generally went straight up and those convertibles basically um, became what we call equity surrogates right they became uh, you know they, they would uh, trade one for one with the um, you know with the underlying equity. Right, and then there are some convertibles that um, where the you know equity price has declined. Uh, you know the convertible is sitting you know right on its bond floor, what we call bond floor, and um, you know if the equity price declines enough that it becomes unlikely that it will ever you know be exercised, then you know then that trades like a bond. So so convertible issue investors will trade out of a convertible if it doesn't have the properties that they're looking for. Okay. Now, do these things trade publicly or do you need to have a, get a deal? Can retail investors access them? They can, uh, certainly through their, uh, you know, through their broker. Um, so, uh, but, you know, we um, typically serve um, institutional investors uh, or retail investors through, um you know, a, a platform. And I, sh I should also mention that we do have, there are funds that trade, um, both open-ended and closed-ended uh, convertible funds. We have to manage a closed-end fund called AVK, which has uh, 
convertibles, uh, as well as some high yield and equity. Okay, so talk to me now, because it sounds like, yeah, these are these are pretty hybrid products, if you will. And, but you say they usually do well during an inflationary environment. And why is that? Right. Because both right. well, don't do well, obviously. And then equities, well. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, let me, let me just give you a few comments about their long-term uh, return. Um, you know, how they've done this year. And, and, and then we can talk about some specific uh, inflationary environments. So, you know, convertible returns, um, it, the asset class has been around forever, but we actually have return information for the entire asset class back to 1973, mm-hmm. right? So the, you know, indices began about 1987, but there were, uh, you know, studies done by uh, Ibbotson Associates that, that basically had the annual returns. And so, uh, you know, we can plot the return of convertibles over time. And, uh, and basically, it's neck and neck with the S&P 500 since 1973, um, but with only a portion of the volatility, right? So it's not going up quite as much in the, in the up years, not down quite as much in, in the uh, down years. Um, it's kind of a, you know, a win by not losing uh, type of a strategy. So, but very comparable returns, um, you know, the asset class as a whole to the S&P 500. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. But so where does the inflation protection come in? Right. So, um, you know, we did a study on inflation and um, I sent you a slide, which, uh, you know, you can put on your website. But, um, uh, you know, for for your listeners, let me just uh, tell you, we looked at five periods of inflation from uh, 1973 to 1985, you know, when the peak CPI hit 14.8, 1987 to 1991, CPI hit 6.3. Uh, we looked at 99 to 2000. Uh, that was more of a wealth effect type of uh, inflation. Um, the CPI only hit 3.8, but it was a you know a spike in it. Uh, 05 to 08, right? So just prior to the uh, financial crisis, inflation actually hit 5.6 percent. And then uh, you know 2000 to uh, 2022. Well, you know. Basically, we did the analysis back in May at eight point, you know, eight point six. It's so uh, you know a little bit higher than that now. And in these five periods, convertibles outperformed both equities and core fixed income, right? So convertibles, you you look at that entire all of those five periods, they returned ten point eight percent versus the S and P ten point three percent. Right and uh, core fixed income, um, you know, bonds came in about seven point one percent. So really strong outperformance when you look at, you know, entire uh, inflation cycles. Right. So so you know, generally the inflation is not a bad thing for, for convertibles relative to other asset classes. Right. Hmm. Equities. On why that is because, like I said, inflation is bad for bonds. Um, right. Equities don't always keep pace either. Right. So, so um, you know, for bonds, uh, convertibles have less interest rate sensitivity, as I mentioned before. You know, that that uh, equity option actually increases in value with rising interest rates. And so that keeps the exposure to rising interest rates low. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, sometimes rising interest rates are associated with uh, a robust growth. Right. And so when you have robust growth, uh, you know, rising interest rates is, is going to crush your treasuries, but your equities are usually doing pretty well. And convertibles participate in, in that, you know, upside. 
right? Yeah. Okay. Um, very interesting. Uh, kind of surprising, yeah. maybe that there hasn't been more more uh, interest in the asset class from, especially from retail. We call it an overlooked asset class. Yeah. It, it really is, um, uh, you know, overlooked by a lot of investors. It is. Um, uh, you know, it's not quite as big as uh, high yield. It's not quite as big as uh, leveraged loans. Both of those are, you know, a little over uh, a trillion size. But the convertible asset class has really grown a lot, um, you know, over the last couple of years. Record issuance in 2020 and 2021. And so, you know, it's uh, it's it's hovering, you know, between 600 and 700 million uh, billion now. Mm-hmm. And so are there distressed converts, or is this mostly investment grade companies that do that? There are certainly uh, some distressed converts. And in, in fact, you know, the convertible issuers tend to be um, more growth oriented, right? And and so, uh, you know, you have a lot of tech companies. But when COVID hit, you know, March, April, May of um, of twenty. Uh, you also had a lot of consumer discretionary type companies coming to market. You know, the cruise lines, the airlines, the theaters, uh, you know, basically they were shut down and, um, you know, they needed bridge financing, uh, you know, to get through COVID. And, uh, you know, the high volatility of their underlying equities allowed them to issue, you know, convertibles. And, you um, they did very well, right? Uh, through um, uh, you know, through the COVID cycle, those you know those those um, convertibles did well. Um, so, yeah, those are you know some of the different kinds of uh, of convertible issuers. Mm-hmm. Would that be a typical time to issue converts when you have this need for bridge financing, or, or is it just all across the board? It is, um, you know, sometimes the uh, the convert market is open, but I, w- I will say that, um, you know, convertible issuers tend to uh, focus on uh, financing through convertibles, right? Okay. So for over half of convertible issuers, the convertible debt is the only debt on the balance sheet, right? And um, for the you know, I don't want to call them uh, distressed, but for the um, more defensive lower delta convertibles, that number is actually 70%, right? So, you know, when when, when the stock has gone up and, and the equity is appreciated and the market cap is up, um, you know, the, the convertible doesn't behave as much like a bond as it starts to behave more like the equity. But for those convertibles where the you know, where, where the equity has come down, it's behaving more like a bond, credit becomes, you know, a concern. Uh, and, and it, you know, it's good to know that 70% of those bonds, it's the only debt on the balance sheet. And those issuers are typically paying little for in, in interest expense, hmm. right? And, and oftentimes they, you know, they, they still have the cash, right? Maybe, the, maybe there's a little cash burn, maybe they're cash flow positive, but, um, you know that's that is a reason you know for for optimism you know i don't want to uh, speculate too much on what the future holds but one of the things that you know that we look for uh is uh you know we, we have a really strong fundamental credit you know process here and uh and so um you know we, we look for the kinds of companies that have uh, cash on the balance sheet free cash flow positive uh and uh and you know and and with you know, convertible debt being the only debt on the balance sheet, uh, you know, there's there's reason to think that a lot of our 
um, convertible issuers will, will do fine even in a recessionary type scenario. This space for rent. If you own a small corporation, have a service, or even a podcast of your own that you wish to advertise, you can use the Contrarian Investor Podcast for this purpose. I will happily read an ad and shout out a link to your service at this stage of this podcast. So if you are interested, get in touch. Email contrarianpod at gmail.com and let me know what you would propose. Obviously, there are limits to the type of things that can be advertised, but rates are low. And there's other ways that this can be marketed as well, using our Twitter account and, of course, the show notes. This distribution is pretty deep. We'll be happy to share any details. So get in touch, contrarianpod at gmail.com. And it says here that the default rate is basically a fraction of what it is for high yield and, and leveraged loans. Right. Yeah. Over over a long period of time, uh, you know, convertible issuers tend to uh, have about a one percent default rate in comparison to three percent uh, for high yield and uh, and leveraged loan issuers. You know. Now I should note that um, oftentimes convert. You know, one of the reasons issuers like to issue convertibles is that they don't have to go out and get a rating, right? And and so um, you know most convertibles do not have a public rating. We rate everything we, we invest in. We you know we know what the credit quality is, and um, you know so in general about seventy five percent of the asset class is you know high yield right. So with a credit quality of um, you know double B or below, and uh, about twenty five percent would be considered investment grade uh, if it did have a rating. Right. So um, even even though, you know, maybe a quarter of the asset class is investment grade uh, and, and three quarters is, um, you know, speculative grade, it has a very low default rate, uh, you know, taking you know, the, the credit quality into consideration. So, um, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, speaks to the, um, you know, to the underwriting in the asset class. Yeah, very interesting. All right, Daniel Parlow, I want to take a short break and come back and ask you some more about your background and more importantly about opportunities right now in converts and some areas that you and your firm might see, uh, might think are interesting. Before we do though, if you are a premium investor, do not touch the dial, you will not get the break. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And everybody else, if you want to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded, transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
That's contrarian.supercast.tech. By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Here with Daniel Partlow of Advent Capital. Daniel, this is the segment of the show where we ask the guests guests to talk a little bit more about themselves uh, personally and, and professionally, how they came to this station in life, how they started investing in the first place. So curious about your background and how it took you to converse. So go ahead. Right. Okay. Well, um, you know, I have an economics degree from the University of Missouri, uh, a master's in international management from uh, Thunderbird Graduate School. Uh, that's where I got interested in risk management. They had a program uh, that had been developed at INSEAD. That's the big uh, European uh, you know, business school. And, uh, and so I focused on that by doing, um, working as a, a TA for the risk management program for two semesters. So, you know, then in the 90s, I did risk management consulting primarily for uh, corporate treasury, right? Um, analyzing foreign exchange rate and interest rate risks, writing risk management policy statements, putting systems in place. Um, you know, from there, I got hired um, at AIG, right, to work in their risk management department in the early 2000s, uh, implementing risk management systems for the uh, basically about $600 billion in insurance invested assets uh, that they managed. And then, um, you know, after I left there, uh, I went to Stanfield Capital. That was a, a CLO and leveraged loan manager and served as their uh, chief risk officer. And uh, that's where I wrote out the 2008 uh, financial crisis. So, um, you know, I should mention that we uh, managed to get through it with about a one and a half percent default rate uh, in comparison to about 11 percent for the for the uh, overall asset class. So we we did a good job of, uh, of managing risk there. Um, I joined Advent in 2011, um, and I've built out the risk platform here. I've had the opportunity to work with really the leading minds in uh, you know the convertible asset class, and um, that gave me the training that I needed uh, to write what I I think is the uh, authoritative book on the asset class. It's really the you know the first book in a long time. Uh, there were some good books written in the uh, the 90s, but we talk about you know, the last 20 years, uh, you know, the performance, the 
uh, changes, you know, that the asset class has gone through, um, you know, just in terms of the structure of the, of the convertibles. And, um, you know, wrote that together with our president and CIO, Tracy Maitland, and a retired portfolio manager, Barry Nelson, uh, you know, who managed one of our more successful um, uh, portfolios, you know, through the early 2000s. And you yeah. talk about, you know, that we've talked about the benefits of, of these converts a lot. And I'm wondering if they, there's any kind of disaster hedge type of, uh, maybe not disaster, but, you know, one of the things that you, you read a lot about now and you've heard a lot about is stagflation, which mm-hmm. is obviously different from inflation because you get lower growth as well as inflation. So we kind of had that in the 70s, right. um, but not really since or not at all since. So. Right. Have you studied that at all? And how, how convert that? Yeah. Um, basically, there were you know two periods of stagflation in the, in the seventies and eighties. You know, the first was uh, seventy three to seventy five. Uh, you know, and the second one was uh, you know eighty to eighty two. Um, so, the, you know, there were several periods of negative GDP during that uh, during those two time frames. Um, Couple of periods of, uh, of of growth within there, but overall it was it was considered a, a period of stagflation. You know there are annual returns of convertibles uh, during those periods of time, so we you know we can look at those and say, okay, well how how did they do during stagflation? And uh, to, to just give you an idea, you know the S and P five hundred from seventy three to seventy five was down about five percent. The Nasdaq was down about um, you know seventeen percent. Convertibles were up. One percent, right? So convertibles did their job uh, and, and more during that first period of stagflation, and then the second period of stagflation from eighty to eighty-two. Um, you know, it was there was a lot of um, periods of declining growth, but you also had inflation coming down from the peaks, right? So it, it was high inflation, but on the way down, and and as a result of that. Um, you know, the S&P was actually up 15%, uh, you know, during during that. And, and these are annualized returns, I should mention. The NASDAQ was up 15%. Um, the Russell 2000, which, uh, you know, came into existence in 78, uh, you know, small caps was up 17%. But convertibles were up 20%, right? So, so beating all of those equity asset classes. So, you know, just using his history as a you know analogy um you know i think there's reason for optimism we have uh had high and rising inflation um but you know there are some signs that it's uh, cresting and uh and when you have inflation starting to come back down again uh that that does tend to be uh, a positive for for equities and convertibles mm-hmm. interesting any idea why that is what is there any specific feature of converts that might help on well, you know, convertible issuers tend to be growth oriented. Yeah. Right. And um, even though the convertible uh, structure has very low interest rates duration, I, I think one of the things that the market has observed this year is that growth equities tend to have an, an, an interest rate duration to them, mm-hmm. right? Rising interest rates, you know, if, if, um, uh, you know, you could be uh, have positive earnings, but if you have a high growth rate, more of those earnings are are out in the future, right? And and so just like a you know a long term bond, um, you know that that would you know gets its principal back in ten or twenty years, um, you know when you have rising interest rates, that tends to be long for you know bad for long duration 
uh, bonds, right? Because they get discounted back at a higher rate. And, um, uh, you know, I think growth equity has suffered, uh, you know, some to somewhat the same uh, effect, right? Mm. Because more of the of the earnings, because they're growing at such a high rate, a higher percentage of their future earnings are, you know, in the more uh, medium and long term. And so they they get discounted back. You know, I, I think that that's uh, what's going on there. So the growth equities have, um, uh, you know, have suffered with higher interest rates. But as uh, interest rates stabilize, right, there's less of a concern about, uh, you know, that duration effect. And, you know, growth equities can go back to their job of outperforming, right, which uh, which they have done, you know, basically for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. If they survive. I mean, there is a, you know, we did have that period from 2000 to what, about 2005 or later, where growth NASDAQ did terribly, you know. Oh, I, I, you know, absolutely. The, you know, the, the dot-com bubble burst was, uh, uh uh, was was a period in which those uh, overvalued companies, um, you know, got uh, re- revalued downwards. But as I mentioned, um, convertible issuers tend to have very uh, low interest expense. The converts the only debt on the balance sheet, and uh, so uh, at least for a really significant portion of the asset class, we think that there's you know strong reasons to be optimistic about their long-term survival. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. And that brings us to the present day and, and what you think, where you think there might be some opportunities with the understanding here that we're not dispensing investment advice. Um, but yeah. Right. Well, well let, let me just say, um, you know, how things have gone so far this year, right? This has been a really difficult year um, across the board, right? Uh, it's rare when you have positive correlation between stocks and bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, typically uh, you know, the reason the blended uh, portfolio, the, you know, the 60-40 is, is such a popular concept is that, you know, when equities decline, uh, you know, longer duration bonds tend to appreciate. And so, it, you know, it serves to offset. Uh, that hasn't happened this year, right? And so uh, it's it's been a difficult year. But, you know, there are pockets of convertibles that have done really well. The energy sector convertibles are up 26% on the year, sure. right? Materials uh, are up 6%. And uh, investment grade uh, plain vanilla convertibles are up 3.5%. Right, so that's much better than the investment grade corporate bonds that are down 13 and a half percent. Right, a 1,700 basis points difference hmm. between you know the convert and the straight bond um, uh, version. Right, or, or long-term treasuries are down 24 percent. Right, so that's that's kind of the backdrop. Now, overall, year-to-date, um, as of last night, the V0A0 convertible index was down. About fifteen percent, um, which about a percent better than the S and P five hundred, right? Um, as I mentioned, convertible issuers tend to be more growth oriented, so you know probably a better comparison is against the Nasdaq, and that's down twenty four percent, right? So convertibles are really protected on the downside, uh, you know, relative to you know growth equity and and their underlying equities, you know, balanced convertibles, which 
um, are the convertibles that have kind of a moderate delta. They sit in between the you know the equity surrogates and the and the, and the more busted uh, uh, defensive bonds. Um, you know they're, they're a little bit better. They're down fourteen percent, right? Now let's compare that to the long run. Um, you know, since 1998, the S&P has uh, returned about 7% annualized, the NASDAQ about 8.4% annualized. Well, the V0A0 convertible index also comes in at 8.4, right? So same return as the NASDAQ, but with 42% less volatility than the NASDAQ, right? So the NASDAQ has had vol of uh, about 23% per year. Right, so just a lot more swings up and out, and that compares to 13% for convertibles. All right, so one thing um, you know, institutional investors like to look at is the sharp ratio. How much did I earn, you know, over and above the, the risk-free rate relative to the amount of volatility I I, I, I went through? And uh, you know, convertibles have had much higher sharp ratios. In fact, what you know the those numbers I just gave you, that results in about a 73% higher sharp ratio uh, for convertibles than, than for the NASDAQ. Right? Um, and, you know, you can look at subsectors within convertibles, um, you know, different different sectors or, or uh, themes, and uh, there is a, a growth convertible index. Uh, and uh, if we compare that to the S&P growth or the Russell 2000 growth, Right. Since 97, uh, growth convertibles are up 14.5% versus 8.5% for the S&P and 7.5% for the Russell growth. Right, So it's, it's a really good way to play uh, growth is, is essentially what I'm saying. And you, you tend to get the more volatile, uh, growthy names, but in sort of a protective wrapper of the convertible. And, uh, and that allows you to kind of win by not losing in the down periods and then, you know, participate, uh, you know, with positive asymmetry, you know, in more of the upside. Is there an ETF that tracks uh, converts? Um, yeah, well, we, you know, we have, uh, the, you know, the closed end fund AVK, uh, which okay. is mostly converts, but, uh, um, you know, there's the CWB. Uh, oh, right. so, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Now, what about in, any individual securities that you think are, are interesting? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, you know, I'm I'm the chief risk officer here. I'm not the portfolio manager. I'm not the head of uh, research. But um, you know, just to give you an idea of a, of a couple of um, uh, you know bonds that we have uh, in the asset class, uh, Snap, right? Snapchat, social networking. You know, popular among youth. They just announced a you know twenty percent layoff. Um, still has an eighteen billion dollar market cap. Um, you know, it's expected to have positive EBITDA uh, this year. Um, there's a convertible bond, uh, you know, at 95, right? So it trades at a discount to par. Um, it has delta in the low 20s. That means it's going to participate in um, about 20% of the equity sensitivity. Um, but, with, you know, with a bond at 95, as long as the company doesn't go bankrupt, you got a positive rate of return, you know, back to maturity because you're going to make part maturity in a downside scenario, and and yet you've got a 20% participation in the upside, um, and because there is positive asymmetry in convertibles, that that 20 delta uh, is only going to grow over time, you know, as the as the equity climbs. So you know, a lot of lot of upside opportunity in in a, a bond like Snap. 
with mm. limited down limited downside. Um, and then, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got a company um, like Workday that's, uh, you know, enterprise uh, cloud-based applications for companies. They have a $42 billion market cap, um, one and a half billion of um, EBITDA, I'm sorry, EBIT, right? Um, and they have a convertible outstanding um, trades at 111, right? So just 11% of, you know, above par. And uh, it's got a delta of 85, which means it's going to participate in 85% um, of the movement of the underlying equity, um, but really strong asymmetry, mm. right? So, so, you know, if the equity goes up, that 85 could go to 100 very quickly and, and could, you know, capture most, if not all, of the upside. Um, but because it's at 111, you know, it's unless it defaults, it's not going to go below 100. So there's very limited downside in, in a bond like that. So, you know, those are a couple of examples. Um, one uh, of a lower equity sensitivity bond uh, might be a good, um, you know, investment for a fixed income investor, right? And we, and we do have, um, you know, investors that are looking for alternatives for their fixed income portfolio, and they look at low delta convertibles, um, as an option. And then, um, you know, you also have equity investors that are looking for, um, you know, a little bit more protection uh, and and they might participate in a, in a bond like this, uh, you know, or a more balanced convertible type strategy where, uh, where they've got some downside protection, but the opportunity to capture most, if not all of the upside. Mm. I meant to ask you where on the capital structure typically do these converts fall? Like is there additional protection over equities or are they? Yes. Uh, well, you know, they're, they are senior to the equities. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, over half of convertible issuers, it's the only debt on the balance sheet. So, okay. you know, so, there's not a really extensive capital structure in, in right. a lot of these companies. Um, that doesn't mean they're, you know, they're all small cap companies. There's, you know, as many, uh, um, you know, large cap and 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 medium cap. Uh, you know, as there is small cap, so uh, you know, a really good representation. Everything from, uh, you know, from from Twitter and and you know and Tesla and you know, so. Um, so yeah, it 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 does sit uh, above equity, um, and uh, you know, it, it will be junior to uh, you know some secured bonds or. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Uh, Daniel, while I still have you, and seeing how you are a risk officer, I'd like to ask people what it is that they are concerned about most, what keeps them up at night, whether literally or proverbially. Um, so, yeah, what is there anything there that, that comes to mind? Well, um, I tend to, um, you know, have some personal concerns. This is not necessarily the, you know, the views of my company, but, uh, you know, as the risk officer, I do have to uh, think about the the macro environment. Uh, you know, I am concerned about what uh, is going on in Europe. Uh, you know, the, the potential for um, the impact of of higher energy prices on you know production over there. Um, you know the uh, you know potential for increasing uh, interest rates. Uh, you know, more a more hawkish Fed. Right, so those are those are things that uh, you know could weigh on the economy in general. Um, you know, those are those are the kinds of things that we take into consideration when we 
put together our scenario analysis and, and think about the upside and the downside of, of our portfolios. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. That's a, that's a, on a, maybe on a scale of one to 10, how would you, how concerned are you right now? Where call it August of 2008 would have been 10 and January of 1999, zero. Um, well, it, you know, it's my job to be more of the um, pessimist, you know, in the shot, even though I tend to be more of an optimist uh, naturally, um, you know, it's my job to look for the, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, on a scale of one to 10 with 2008 being an eight, um, you know, I would say maybe I'm a four or five. Oh, okay. Uh, that doesn't sound terrible, especially if you're a pessimist. Cool. You know, um, uh, there's one other aspect of the convertible asset class I haven't mentioned yet, and, and I think it's really interesting uh, to consider, and that is um, what is called convertible arbitrage. Yes. And, and, and convertible arbitrage is uh, a strategy where you own the convertible bond long, uh, and then you go short the stock against it, right? So if you own, um, you know, let's say... Um, a million dollars of of the convert, and it, it's got a equity sensitivity or a delta of fifty, right? So that means you've got to be short about five hundred thousand dollars worth of stock. Now, why would you do that? Well, you know why 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 just you know buy the bond and then and then short all of the equity participation out? Well, the bond has positive asymmetry, right? It's going to participate in more of the upside and less of the downside because of the bond floor, right? And and so and you're going to be hedged uh, against loss if the if the you know stock price goes down, um, but you you know you 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 make money the more movement in the underlying equity there is, and so it's a strategy that's that's actually called a long volatility strategy, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and it, it tends to do pretty well, uh, you know, on a relative basis when you've got uh, you know a big market you know fallout like this. Mm. Uh, so, so the convertible arb strategy is uh, is something that institutional investors often consider uh, as uh, you know a hedge against uh, future volatility. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. I did study that a little bit from my hedge fund travels, uh, but it's it's not. A, I mean, there are some hedge funds that do it, mm-hmm. uh, but not all that many that have it as a dedicated strategy. There's some. They're out there. It used yeah. to represent about seventy percent of the convertible asset class. But today it represents maybe only uh, you know thirty percent. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's it it's much less prevalent than it used to be. But it's hmm. it's still a, a completely valid um, you know uh, strategy. Sure. Uh, that, that, is, that is worth consideration in uh, you know a choppy volatile market like we have yeah. today. Yeah. Well, this is very interesting, Daniel. Thanks for joining us and thanks for providing this these insights. These are. Uh, it's gave it definitely gave listeners a lot to think about and to research some more. And speaking of which, I will include a link to the book and to your website. And uh, as far as other ways to find you, are there any? Are you active at all on social media? Uh, maybe LinkedIn. Or- uh, yeah, sure. I have um, a LinkedIn profile. You know, I'm glad to um, accept people's links. And um, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, if you're if you're interested in the asset class, you think there's some value in it. Um, I I do highly recommend the book, uh, Convertible Securities: Complete Guide to Investment and Corporate Financing Strategies. Oh, and and by the way, there's a chapter specifically for CFOs and why they should be considering 
um, you know, convertibles in their capital structure if they're not already. So it's it's both for investors and issuers. Cool. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you, Daniel, for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. And with that, we look forward to speaking to you, you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.